I'm your host, Josh Allen. Welcome to episode five of Still Rolling, which means that CVP, still like us in the Swear scoreboard, isn't offending anyone. This is still the podcast that delivers everything and nothing in equal measures. You'll get a bit of film industry chat peppered in amongst anecdotes from seasoned professionals and some folks that are just finding their feet in the industry. In this episode, we ask who gets to keep the props as we welcome Danny Winship, legendary prop storman. He's worked with my favourite director, Guy Ritchie, a whole bunch. He was on Man From Uncle, King Arthur and Aladdin with their team. So naturally, I had to bring him on here and ask him if he's ever taken anything home without returning it. Danny took a leap of faith when he moved over to the UK from South Africa and he hasn't looked back since. He probably wanted to go back after he embarrassed himself in front of Hugh Grant, though. Anyway, he'll uh, tell you what about that. Here's what we got up to. The guy joining us today, Danny Winship. Say hi, Danny. Hello. 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 Danny has worked on such cinematic delights as Man from Uncle, Aladdin, Jurassic World, all sorts of kinds of different movies. And he's kind of to grace us with his presence today. So thank you very much for your time today, Danny. How are you, mate? How are you? I'm really good, thanks. Um, not bad at all, taking advantage of the good weather. Thoroughly enjoying the good weather, really, as a family, despite lockdown. Just cracking on, mate. Sticking to the rules and getting a tan. Sticking to the rules and getting a tan. Fortunately, we're now not contradicting any rules at the moment, so those two things can coincide. Man, yes, I'm glad to hear you're having a good time, though. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. Yeah, it has been a good time. Yeah, really nice. So let's just deal with a little bit of context. Um, to bring you into this and obviously allow the audience to understand who we're dealing with. You are a prop storeman by trade, correct? Correct, yeah. Let's, uh, let's go into that because they do keep us apart on set. What is a prop yep. storeman? Prop storeman is the guy who looks after all of the props for any particular film or feature or series that you're working on. It's our job to get the props in, whether they're hired or purchased, account for them get them to set, get them into the hands of the people that need them, the prop dresses, the set dresses, make sure that they all get looked after while they're on set. The prop storeman is accountable for all of that. He has to look after the props, make sure at the end of the day when a prop goes missing, there is someone that has to answer for it. Um, <laughs> what do you say when a prop goes missing? Is that a frequent occurrence? Um, I would go as far as to say, depending on the films. Um, some films, it seems to happen more frequently. Um, Why is that other people films, not as much. Well, sometimes different crews, you, you get a, a, seem to have a common thread of little issues always popping up and things being misplaced. Um, malicious intent, I must say, is not something I've come across very often. Um, is it someone just taking a souvenir? Yeah, yeah, there's a bit of that. That obviously does go on. You've got loads of people on film sets and that kind of thing does happen. So you have to account for it, which is why you have a prop storeman who can account for it. So it's your job. Back. When someone wants to take something home, you're like, you're the bad guy at the end of the day. It's going, nope. Yeah, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the mean guy that comes over and, and has an argument with you for the sake of the film's budget. Um, yeah, whatever. That's, that's the role of the prop <laughs> storeman. And then lastly, just to make sure that it's accounted for at the end of the film when rap occurs so that everything ties together. That's basically it, man. Logistics that go with it, all of that, yeah. I'm sure the audience appreciates a bit more of an understanding on these things. I mean, I know certainly from my perspective, it's really great to hear from different people on sets. You know, film is a collaborative medium and every single person is as important as everybody else. So it's really cool Absolutely. that you get to, get to hear from different people in this regard. And I'm really cool. happy that you're able to join us today, mate. I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much. How do you even find yourself in that line of work? I mean, we've had a, a minor chat that's got, up, got got us up to this point, and I'm under, of the understanding that film wasn't necessarily 
a passion of yours prior to that. Not to say that it is now, but it wasn't necessarily the thing that you were like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to go and be involved in movies. How on earth did you get involved with this? So I, I decided in 2012, I've, I've been coming over to the UK for many years, um, visiting. I'd worked here when I was much younger. And in 2012, I made the decision to come over to the UK. Um, I'd had a background in South Africa of first and foremost, my best passion was part of BMX. We ran competitions in South Africa. I commentated. Um, so we organized competitions um, around the country nationally. I ran a pub as my job. I was a like, general manager of a pub for a good, good brand out there. And when I came over here and was, I'd come to a job um, that all fell through the week I arrived. They actually said I was too old to retrain. Sorry, what? Um, yeah, I know. They, they, a company that I was interviewed for in Watford in a resources company phoned me up and told me over the phone that I was too old to retrain. They so you'd already that, come over with that opportunity I'd, I'd in mind? I'd come over. I'd done, the, I'd done the telephonic interview, everything, and it all looked good. I came in here, had a physical interview, met the directors of the company. It was a 700-strong employee company. And I arrived. I flew over. Two days later, walked into this interview. And they phoned me back three days later and said, oh, I chased them. And I said, you know, you haven't got back to me. That would normally not be a good thing. And they said, well, it's not a good thing. You know, really sorry, but we felt that your experience, um, with your experience, you'd be too hard to retrain. Um, your experience is fantastic. And make no mistake, you look like you'd be an asset to our company, but we don't feel that we could get you retrained up to the way we need you to be. And I, I just, I couldn't get it. Yeah, I mean, that already sounds fluffy and awful all over the place, doesn't it? Really yeah, and I couldn't understand after having been here a few days in like the first world country. Great. I mean, you've Britain. got a family as well. It's not yeah, like yeah, you're yeah, just yeah, taking yeah. yourself over there, right? No, no, no. I'd come over here, left my wife and kids in South Africa, and I'd come through to set it up. Bear in mind, I'm, I'm on a British passport, so I was able to just cruise over, crack on. Right. Um, and then had, I was quite prepared to go through whatever it cost uh, visa-wise to get my wife and kids here. I really wanted to make this work. Anyway... They, that's what they said. So a couple of weeks of sending out my CV everywhere to everyone. I did leafleting door to door. I worked really hard. I feel like you've got ground. a name and shame that previous company now. Well, <laughs> well. <laughs> I'm just being silly, mate. Carry on. After a few weeks um, of sending out CVs, nothing yeah, back yeah, or what? CVs, leafleting, walking streets, the whole nine yards. Um, my mom actually turned around to me and she said, you won't believe it. I've, I've bumped into a chap. I'm selling his house. and." Um, he, uh, he's got a, a, the possibility of a job for you. You need to get over to Leavesden Studios today and uh, go into an interview. I just got back from Did a Did you even know run. what the studio was at that point in time? You'd no, have, you'd no, no, no. I, I, I had no idea. Um, I just got back from a run on the canal. I'd done an hour run on the canal. I was in and out the shower quickly, you know, getting on the train, go through to... Leavesden Studios, I got picked up there. I was in a suit as well. What did you have in mind, Leavesden Studios? Have you heard that? What, what, did, you, what did you have in your mind? Leavesden Studios, I was okay because a friend of mine in his younger years had come over here and he had done some janitor work over at the studios. Okay. So it so wasn't I completely... Actually, uh, yeah, it wasn't completely... Yeah, it wasn't completely. What, what I wasn't sure about was the chap had said to my mom that he was like, oh, I'm, I'm a prop master. And I was like, Okay. What is that? Sounds cryptic. <laughs> Very interesting. Not one I'm familiar with. Anyway, having done a bit of theater and drama stuff when I was younger, I kind of had a rough idea of props and master. I figured he was the guy that looks after props. But 
I didn't know what that meant and I couldn't understand anyone giving away a job in the film industry just like that. So I thought, you know, go in there smart. So I put on a three-piece suit, proper, got, you know, suited and booted, clean shaved. I'm sure that works out well. Yeah, yeah, this is eight years ago. Hopped on the train, got picked up, walked into this container that was inside uh, Leaveston Studios and I said, ah, good afternoon. I'm here to see Graham Purdy was the chap at the time, the prop master. And well, he hopped out of his chair and he was looking at the, the very smart chap over the, over the office from him. And they sort of both hopped out their chairs. Bear in mind, I'm in a suit, eh? Um, three piece, no less. No, yeah, yeah, three piece, baby brogues, you know. <laughs> and they sort of jumped out their chairs and I thought, wow, this is really like, they, they look, and I couldn't understand. Now, years later, I understand no one walks around in a suit, you know, really strange. And they said, look, we don't understand who, who you are. We it's not really making sense. I said, uh, Jen Jukes, uh, I'm here for an interview. Well, they all cracked up laughing. They just Amazing. killed themselves off. And they were like, listen, you're not going to need that suit for work. Um, I said, okay. I said, okay, you know, no stress. I've, I don't know what to expect. You don't go to an interview in anything but a suit in South Africa. If you're going for one and you've got the privilege of an interview, mate, you look your best. So I went around there. They walked me around the studio. And the nice thing about my introduction to the industry, Josh, was that I, I was offered the opportunity, even at 31, uh, to be a trainee and they basically offered me a, some daily work as a trainee um, which was a great way to start it was the right way to start we'll speak I'm sure about sort of progress getting into the industry yeah, yeah. Um, but I was afforded the opportunity to start at a grassroots level and work my way up from a trainee to a junior and then into prop man and storeman um, was that pretty That's much just like you show up and they give you the job or how much, you know, how much of an interview process was that? Was it just, did they find well, the suit hilarious and they were just like, he's in? <laughs> yeah. He, well, he's, you know, he's on the right side of the camera. Bosh, we'll keep him. Um, no, basically the assistant prop master walked me around. He said, look, do you want to have a quick look around and see what we do? And we can have a chat about what the job entails. I said, absolutely. Um, that in itself was mind blowing because we walked out of the back of the studio and suddenly we were standing in Heathrow. Leaveton Studio isn't in Heathrow. How could there be a Heathrow there? I'm looking at this, you know, I'm, I'm fresh off the plane, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm looking at all of this and I'm like, this is mental. I, I obviously looked a bit flustered and he, he sort of looked at me and I said, sorry, I don't understand quite what's going on here. And he said, this is a film set. Um, if any of you have seen, or if anyone's seen, All You Need Is Kill. Uh, sorry, it's not, it wasn't released as that. Um, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow is your first movie you go back to, right? It's a trainer, yeah? That was the one. So... If you've seen that and you've seen the Heathrow sort of part of that, which is where Cruz wakes up and all the rest of it, it's, it's mental. It's massive. And I walked out onto that in Watford and it was Heathrow. And I was blown away and immediately fell in love with the, the sort of crazy spectacle and the bubble that can be created just behind your house. Like it's a, I mean, it's it's a magical place. It's yeah, a magical, absolutely. like it's mental. And, you know, I had never done anything so, so sort of magical and so so created um it was incredible so basically they ran me through it and the most important thing you know you've at 30 being a, going into a trainee position which is generally for youngsters straight out of school really um they said to me the important thing was punctuality that i'll be there on time and i said you won't ever have an issue with me for that so that's punctuality is not a problem and i'm older you know that might be an issue with youngsters but it wasn't an issue so the next day i turned up at 6 30 i think it was through the gate they offered me a couple of days, a couple of days that week, 
And at the end of the week, fortunately, um, I'd done enough that I'd secured, I think I ended up with six months work. I worked right to the end of that job. Oh, good, Matt. Oh, yeah, so that was, that was it. That's, that's how I did it. Yeah, yeah. the credits speak for themselves after that. So you must have done a good job, mate. They must have liked well, what you did. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, all I did was just, I just worked hard and I just trying to make sure that everything I'd always told people that had worked for me over many years, I just tried to make sure I did what I told people to do. So if you're going to do something, do it properly, you know, clean, clean up, tidy up, keep it clean. The role of a trainee, really. So Yeah. Sounds yeah, like you had a solid nice. attitude though. I and mean, we did say we we're going to get into talking about this journey. <laughs> like part of this as well is I'd like to personally, not only just highlight, but I'd like to understand the different routes that different people have into their different roles. You know, one part of that from my, from my side, that conversation is people identifying kind of who they are, helping them themselves understand what role fits them, certainly. And in your case, obviously that's slightly different, but at the same time not because... I'm sure you had some aptitude from other parts of life that you just applied to, Absolutely. to what you did, right? So, and then of course. what I can do to that is like, right, how do I actually get this opportunity? Take the opportunity with both hands and yeah. then ultimately just go and get on with it, right? Yeah, yeah. You, 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 you obviously presented a platform and dependence on what you've done previously or been able to build into your life, you've either got the momentum to carry forward and spring off that platform or you don't. How you jump off that springboard is either positive or negative. So you can not jump off the springboard and not take advantage, or you can and be positive or negative. I just chose to grab what I had. I was fortunate to have some experience that lent itself to what I was doing. And you just, you go for it, don't you? Well, I think some of us go for it and some don't. And that's well, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's very easy to say from perspective that, it's, you know, you, you go for it. And some people do. And so I see you, you sneak in a beer there. Unbelievable. You know that. Yeah, yeah. Had, well, had Andy Harris eating Domino's pizza. <laughs> you should get a contingency back for that. There should be. Should, yeah. <laughs> it's all right. It's very important. This is, you, you're able to be a relaxed environment. If, if a beer's what you need, a beer's what you could get, mate. I appreciate that, mate. If you had three kids, you'd have more than a couple of beers in front of you. Let me promise you. Good bad, good bad. There's, there's nothing wrong with that here at all. Um, it's a welcoming environment. <laughs> Indeed. Natural, organic. <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to that attitude it's like yeah it's, it's in, yeah it's an interesting dynamic for me to hear certainly from different ways and means of <clears throat> different people getting involved in the industry certainly and yeah. understanding yeah that, that element to it it's like you know you found yourself in a position where you can go and get involved with these different things and then you just have to progress and I'm sure they found there was like qualities that resonated within you that they liked I was like sure you know I'm sure. I'm sure a big part of that was like, cool, we actually, we want Danny back. He yeah, was sure. hundred percent. And you know, it depends. You've got to put it all in perspective as well. So the role I had was a trainee role. And essentially, if you look at my CV before film, I should be terribly suitable for a trainee role. So it would have been really pathetic of me if I hadn't applied myself and been able to handle a trainee role. Any any person should be able to handle a trainee role because that's exactly what it is. You're there to learn. You know, and that's the thing is there's another dynamic to the attitude there is that it's, there's nothing beneath you as well. That's the thing. It's like that's it. Yeah, you're starting at the grassroots level, so you you have that wonderful platform to make mistakes. And there was lots. I obviously had to learn really really quickly, but because it's a simple level one place. Crack on, make some mistakes, ask the questions, 
And then you learn very quickly at a training level not to ask questions and just to do as you're told. <laughs> That's I do really find that quite funny. I feel like there's like, yeah, there's two sides to that conversation as well. There's like, right, there's a crack on, get yeah. on with it and just do yeah. what you're told and just yeah. don't mess it up until you yeah. understand what it is that is actually required of you. It's not just about just doing the thing that someone's told you to do. It's actually, yes. right, I'm going to do that with a degree of understanding that now's now allows me a bit of initiative. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yeah, that's basically a large part of it. And, and for me, I was fortunate, you know, you say, oh, it's down to the person and the platform. I was also fortunate that because I had managed, managed a, a couple of businesses before I left South Africa for probably close to a 10-year period before I left South Africa, I was, and I'd worked right through all my friends going to university and having a good time. I left school, went straight to work. And I looked at the opportunity as a fantastic opportunity for me to not have any responsibility, really. So it's Yeah, really interesting because they didn't want somebody that was responsible when I started. They wanted someone that could do what they were asking and get it done. They wanted someone that could checklist. They, that's what they needed. The role advertisers trainee, but what they need is people with common sense that can start at the bottom. That, that's how it, sh- it shouldn't really be called trainee. They just need simple common sense. And I was able to do that because it wasn't a hectically responsible role. They could give me a job and go, could you run that down to there? Yep. No problem, sir. Bosh, get it down there. Come back. Right. Ready for the next job, sir. And I loved that. It was brilliant for me at the time in my life. So that's also, I think the platform was there, but it also really suited me at the time. Interesting. Do you think those kind of roles exist for people who want to find different parts of the industry um, to get themselves into? I mean, obviously kind of you found yourself upon an opportunity and then obviously took that with both hands. 100%. Do you think those roles exist for other people looking to sort of find different means and ways of getting into the industry? Um, fundamentally, well, <laughs> well, you're talking about, I think, you said, do, do, do those, do those areas exist? Is that what you're asking? You're saying, yes. Yeah. I guess the main question is really like, yeah, are those opportunities out there? You found yourself with an opportunity, obviously simply knowing the person yes. that you need to have a conversation with was hundred percent beneficial, which yes. of course we understand is definitely something that's paramount in getting you the next step further forward. But I know, you know, I know there's a lot of people that struggle to even get that far, like finding the opportunity. So that's, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good thing uh, that you're saying. I understand what you're asking. The opportunities to get into the industry are out there. Yes, they are. They are opportunities to get into the industry. And mine was, you know, through someone selling a house that happened to be someone in the film industry. There's lots of opportunities for people um, to get into the film industry. Weird, weird and wonderful opportunities. Definitely. It's what the people do with those opportunities once they've got them and how much they choose to learn. We kind of joked about this before. It's about like having the opportunity, being there for it, and then kind of aligning yourself to sort of catch it and be there for when it kind of aligns itself with you in the right way. It's not quite yeah. lucky. It's not quite whatever, yeah. you know. If you, if you look at my situation, you know, lots of people say to me, oh, you know, that's great. You've come over here and you've worked so hard and you now you're a storeman and you've really cracked it. And the way, I chose to, the way I chose to look at my life when I arrived here, bear in mind, I'd left my children and my wife in another country. I chose Most to look people would have stopped there, yeah. Most yeah, people yeah, would have yeah, stopped like, there. Yeah, 100%. But then I got this job and I was like, okay, so this film industry thing, it's pretty crazy. They want me there at 7 a.m. in the morning, ready to work. And then they only want me to go home at about 7 at night. 
I was like, okay, so that's 12 hours of my life. Okay, that's quite hectic. And it's in, in pretty much in stone that you're not leaving before that. You're not leaving after that. that. You're there for 12 hours. Okay, how do I handle this? Well, I don't have a family here at the moment and I'm here to do a job. So tell you what, pedal to the metal. I'll eat, sleep and breathe film for however long it takes. How long has it been now? Well, now it's it turned into seven years, eight, nearly eight years I've been doing it. Without taking your foot off the gas? Well, I've had, I've had breaks in between where you can't find unemployment, as is the nature of the industry. So this is kind everybody's, of what out here, yeah. Everybody's crewed up and you've got to, you know, you've got to bob and weave a little bit to, to find the next person that's going to take you on board. But look, I've been very fortunate. If you look, as you said, look at my CV, I've been very, very fortunate. People have offered me great opportunities. But it, once again, it's how you take the opportunity, isn't it? Talking to you for only two minutes and suddenly I'm starting to understand why people want you around, mate. So that's the thing. It's one of those interesting things, certainly. But yeah, <laughs> being the person that people want you to be on set as well and actually having, you know, the now to carry on and go, okay, yeah. I can be useful in these regards. Then suddenly you find yourself as an invaluable member of the crew. Yeah, yeah. You just, yeah, people just need to look at the big picture of what, of what's, largely required and make sure that whatever they're doing is contributing towards that goal. And if you're doing that and that's noticed, you're probably on your way to growing within whatever you're doing. Not just film, it's everything, isn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, you're, you know, you're immediately when I started speaking to you prior to this conversation, your philosophy was something that definitely, you know, stuck out to me quite quickly in understanding that there's a handful of things that really are you know, align in that regard for you to make sure that you can take advantage of these opportunities in the right way. And I'm a big fan of your philosophy in that way. And, it, you know, it's something that I definitely am, I'm glad we can share with the audience members today. But it does get us quite nicely onto, um, you know, what's, what's happening right now as well. Um, of course, you're part of Aladdin, previously a major feature, but you were working on something prior to all this wonderful mess going down. What were you working on? Um, I've currently been working on a Netflix, Netflix job called The Nevers. And obviously production shut down, didn't it? So is there any, oh, where's the light at the end of the tunnel right now? Is there anything coming around? I think they're talking, you know, I think they're talking likely about getting people to trying to, trying to sort of filter people back in, in, in June. And once the filtering starts back in, then obviously they're going to start to put legislation in place to protect everyone. And there will be, you know, the ball's starting to roll again everywhere, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think I'm, I'm hoping that some, oh, excuse me, sometime in July, hopefully, we'll be creeping back into work. That's that's kind of the feedback I've had that if everything goes according to plan and if yeah. everybody that you know has Zoom conversations with everyone in America that funds the operation are happy and it's all looking safe, we we should start squeezing back in June, July, I guess. So is that something I didn't necessarily regard? Um, I was, we were lucky enough to have Andy Harris, who um, is working on the front lines of a lot of this legislation in terms of understanding how these practices are going to be put into place so that we can all get back to work safely. Yeah. Um, and he's definitely filled in some of his questions. I wish we'd have gotten more out of him, but I realize there's so much going on in his world that it's hard to yeah. start. Um, but I didn't think... Segmenting it, yeah. Yeah, I didn't necessarily think that, obviously, we're not just dealing with our own understanding and, and our versions of events and how we can utilize these practices, but also how the US are dealing with things as well. Because how some, how our lives look on the ground right now, obviously, we don't understand that things are starting to improve. But you're also dealing with how things are looking in, you know, the, the powers that be elsewhere that are obviously controlling the finances as well. So Yeah, 
Yeah, which which always pays which always plays a major part, you know, the red tape that comes along with whoever holds the keys to the budgets. Yeah. That's you know, that that's that's what it's all gonna be about. But hopefully it's hopefully it's June, you know, the sooner the better, really. Yeah. I'm How are you feeling about your time again. off at the moment? I've been blessed with the time off, man. I'm I'm fortunate to be in a lovely lovely part of the world here in Boxmore, in just outside Hemel Hempstead, and we're back yeah. onto a forest. So we've I've got a, a set of twins, a boy and a girl of nearly 13 and a, and a son of five years old. So the, the time with the five-year-old um, and walking the dog out the back in the forest has been immeasurable. I, I can't actually put a value on it. It's, it's proper priceless time. Um, I'm really yeah, happy wonderful. to hear that. I'm honestly yeah. sincerely happy to hear that. Having met your kids for a very brief period of time, I know they're lovely kids and they've got a lot going about them. Seeing them tearing up the skate parks and stuff is really cool that you get to hang out with them. I mean... It's again another thing that's sort of stuck out to me about you as well is your your parenting style in that regard. Obviously, I've only known you for five minutes, but it definitely is very intriguing to me to sort of see how your outlook has sort of changed, perhaps on that, and how things have adapted for you guys. Um, I don't even know to start with that conversation. Part of it is <laughs> a lot of people obviously are like. People have heard, you know, the parent of the, the kid is like the person the kid looks up to. You're the authority on everything up to a certain point until things start changing. But yeah. prior to now, you were sharing that responsibility with the teacher for eight hours of the day. And now your yeah. dad and your teacher and, and whatever else, all the other new jobs that have come into it. How's that, how's that working out for you guys? Um, it's, it's tough. It depends. It depends how vulnerable we get as parents with our kids, you know, hopefully, you know, we aim to be as vulnerable as possible. You can't educate your kid in being a vulnerable human if you aren't vulnerable yourself, as, as you can imagine. So it's, it's a difficult... I mean, I know what to- you're talking about in terms of being vulnerable because I've seen your kids bounce the head off with the skate park floor and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. That's a different kind of vulnerable to, I guess, what other people are talking about. Yeah, no, I'm talking about, you know, the vulnerability in who you are as a person and, and, and where you allow your uh, soul to be and where you allow other people to connect with you. That vulnerability. You can't teach young people to attack life unless there's an element of vulnerability in them, right? You, you've got to have that to appreciate everything. Everything's got to have balance. There's got to be vulnerability. And that's the thing that I've battled the most with probably. Um, it's easy to be a dad and to walk in to the kids having an argument and to go lay down the law and go, right, that's enough. It's been all day now. You oaks haven't stopped. Cut it out. Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah. And one of them looks at you, your, your 12-year-old, nearly 13-year-old son who now looks me eye to eye because I'm really short and he's really tall, looks you straight in the eye and goes, why are you shouting? Really calm too, which is even more annoying. <laughs> and the reality is that that's where the vulnerability comes in, Josh. You've, right. That for me has been hard is to go, to suck that up and to go, Phew, he's actually so right. And it's not a case of do as I say and not as I do, because what am I teaching him? So yeah. that's where I've struggled with the lockdown and going, oh, okay, I can't just, you know, I can't just say something. I've got to, I've got to be something. I've got to be the example to my kids. And that's what the difference is, is they're not at school. So yes, I am teaching them. When I sit down and I do homework with my kids, I've got to be the teacher. You've got to breathe deep and you've got to find some calm somewhere. 
I'll bet, I'll bet all with that stuff. It's terrible. And, and learn some stuff from them apparently at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. You learn. Yeah, you do. You get humbled, man. You can get humbled very, very quickly by children. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I'm sure um, as all the parents, as all the parents will agree with me that hopefully listen to this. I love that. I've just been spatting all this. Anyone that calls me up and they're like, oh, cool, I'm just dealing with the kids. Da, 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 da. I'm like, go and give them a hug, you know, spend this quality time with them. You'll never get this time with them. And I have no idea. I think, look, the, 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 what you're saying is right. That what, what you may not, have you got kids? No. So the difference with what you're saying is right. But the, where, where parents find humor in that statement is that, You'd rather throttle the little bugger's neck. <laughs> they just, they, they can be so unplayable. Yeah, you are right. Go and give them a hug. Take them for the walk. Sit down and smell the flowers together. Look at the little beetle that's crawling on the thing and make some story about it with your partner. Yeah, do all that. That's great. When they're not annoying you and you don't want to absolutely throttle them. So it's finding that balance and, and being vulnerable and being you know, being a good example to your kids, that's the hardest part for me during this lockdown has been to be accountable for my actions in front of, accountable for my actions to myself and my wife for our children's sake. That's what, that's the hardest. Having met you and your kids, uh, I can say from my <laughs> perspective, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure because you just, I can see that they've not only model little citizens themselves but they're polite they're well-mannered but they've got a bit of attitude as well but not misplaced it's all good humored and good fun and they're just yeah, it's, they're it's just alive be. more importantly they're just they're, it's really wonderful to see them just enjoying life not a grumble not anything like that and also respectable as well like when they obviously we're not you know we're nice enough to come and introduce themselves and be a part of a minor conversation even with the social distancing that we're having to deal with at the moment still aware of that. I obviously mentioned young Oliver there who's only five years old and to see his, the way he looks at the world, geez, the things that I've learned from just that one encounter not that long ago. No, we, we, we blessed with our kids. We have, we are very blessed. They are, they are very positive, happy kids who I would like to think my most important thing that I've clung to or learned in my life is just to make sure we're trying to find the balance. And I try and apply that everywhere. You, you can't not work with balance when you're at work. You can't live without balance. If you're trying to live without it, you are making a mess somewhere else in your life. So we've just tried to keep everything balanced, not too much discipline, you know, just the right amount, not too much fun because even fun can get carried away. Yeah, yeah. Keep it balanced. Keep it sensible, guys, but attack the world with vigor. Attack the world with passion go after whatever it is you want to do. I can see your kids doing that to be fair. You let them fall on their face and they're not, get, when they get up, they're not grumbling, they're not crying. They're just like, cool, I did that to myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know, they, they'll tell you straight that if they do get up and start kicking off and having a little tantrum about it, I'm straight in there and I'm paddling a hard because I don't want that attitude where a kid's, I've seen it all too many times, kids racing and riding or doing, you know, sport and they're just horrible little things. They're having a horrible tantrum and the parents are, the parents are allowing it, which is disgusting. And I'm, I'm so offended. And I just think I'm not having that. So we go there, whatever we do, we do it positive, crack on, let the negative people have their negative games. We'll have a positive game. It's all good. good. Mate, that's, that's sound <laughs> advice as far as I can tell anyway, mate. So that's, yeah, that's wonderful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
It's all right. We were just, to be fair, we deviated slightly from the old working thing, to be fair. But yeah. I mean, you mentioned the balance there. That's one thing I wanted to get back to is because obviously you found yourself in a situation here where you've been forced to take time off. And I guess that's something, certainly myself, I found at the beginnings of my career, I feel myself having to address it less so these days, but certainly I was having to address it quite a lot and going like, right, I'm too focused right now. I'm working too hard. I'm getting burnt out. Yeah. Um, but you know, you did mention an element of that is the fact that simply the industry kind of has to perpetuate itself like that. You find yourself yes. going from job to job and it's like, well, yeah. make hay while the sun shines and all that sort of stuff. Yes. yes. Rather than having those situations run away from you. But how do you feel having taken, you know, how do you feel having in yourself, I'd say it's interesting to sort of see like, yeah, you, you know, what, how do I feel about the, the length of time we've had off? I guess. Is there anything you've learned from that situation? Like, are you going to work as hard when you go back? Are you going to continue to do that same sort of version of events or are you, have so you adjusted I, your mindset? Well, it's slightly? interesting. It's, that's an individual question, isn't it? Because it depends where the individual, where the individual is or was at the start of this. So mm. my plan was to work until June, July, which is when the film, the, the series I'm on finishes. And then thereafter, I was going to take a two-month break. I've been fortunate to pretty much solidly be in work for just over two years. Just, just on just over two years, thereabouts. Fantastic jobs. Um, one in particular was Chernobyl uh, that we did in Lithuania. And Great that was series. Awesome. Really fantastic show, yeah. Yeah, and the most amazing crew and, and cast. Like, it was amazing to be part of. And, but, you know... There's a cost with that. You work hard and um, you can become quite drained in our industry, as you know. And I was fortunate to go from that straight into something in Latvia for a few weeks. That wasn't planned. I was meant to have a, a three-week break there. So, so what you're talking about is finding that balance. I didn't have that break. I didn't have those three weeks off. I chose to make hay while the sun shone. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. So I went from there and then... There was meant to be another couple of weeks break after, after that. I went straight on to Pennyworth. And I was fortunate with Pennyworth. It just, I finished work on the Friday in Latvia. I flew home. I started work on Pennyworth on the Monday. Exactly what you're talking about. I then went from that job, finished on a Friday, started on a Monday, onto Hannah 2. Hannah 2. And then subsequently left Hannah, same scenario, finished the Friday, started the Monday, and went on to um, the Nevers that I'm on now. So for me, I was on this sort of two-year solid working plan. And at the end of this job, I had put aside two months because it tied in perfectly with the summer holidays. And for the first time since my kids and wife arrived here, I was like, right, this is time to do it. We're going away for at least two or three weeks. We're going to have six weeks off. Yeah. And we're just going to cruise about in the station wagon and with a tent in the back and just go and find places to camp for five, six weeks. That hasn't happened. Of course. But, but fortunately, because we were in that position, that's what we had planned, we had been putting away a little bit of finances because that's when our family holiday break was. So the impact from this whole thing, we're going to make it through to the end of June. End of June, there won't be much bread left on the table. And that's the reality for the financial impact of what this has done to us. Yeah. What it's done to us, um, you know, from a relaxation point of view is we've just decided as a husband and wife to enjoy the time that we would have had in July and August. And we've had it now. 
And we've done it in our own backyard with minimal finance because we've been in our own backyard. We, yeah. we bought a pool a couple of years ago. It's lasted. So, you know, it depends where each person is and what it's taught you. The same lesson always applies to me. Make sure you've put away a little bit of money in this industry if you're going to work in it because it can fall out from underneath you in one second flat. Mate, sound advice. I guess that's the point I'm trying to get from this is not necessarily that, you know, we're not trying to impart any wisdom on anyone, but just highlight some different individual circumstances that might allow people just to see a bit, see things a little differently. And then I, yeah. I know from my perspective, the amount of little bits of information I've learned over the course of my time in the industry, you might pick up one little bit and it's something as simple as that. Like, Oh, by the way, you should be smart with money. It's like when I was at the beginning, that didn't happen. It's still, I still have to remind, remind myself of that on a weekly basis, you know, when you're yeah. feeling frivolous, but yeah, <laughs> No, absolutely. Uh, it, it's, it's one of the things, you know, there's two funny things that happen with film. A lot of people say, oh, well, you earn these great big salaries. I'm sure you're not worrying about money. Mm, well, yes and no. If you take a lot of the salaries that people earn, I'm not talking about the big boys, obviously. I'm talking about pretty much the rest of us. Construction, props, you know, the, the production side of it. People on slightly better than normal salaries. Yeah. You take that up and add it and, and take off a couple of months out of work. We're in the same boat as anyone. So yeah, yeah. don't get clever. It all evens don't, out. Yeah. When the yeah it all evens out. Don't, don't, don't get clever and think, Oh, well, you know, I've got this, this job six months coming up and I'll just really enjoy this and worry about it then. Yeah. No, no, just put a tiny bit away. And hopefully when the time comes, you're okay. You're okay for a few weeks or a few months or whatever. Right. Solid and sound advice. And I really appreciate it. Actually, one of the things I wanted to talk about, to be fair, you know, talking about how other freelancers are dealing with this, because it's not something we've tackled with, uh, obviously with the current situation dealing with, because I just wanted to ha have a different kinds of conversations, but I'm glad we were able to have that kind of steer that way just even for a moment. So I appreciate it. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> it's I good. got another oh. couple of things. Sorry. Yeah. No, no, no. Carry on. All right. It's all right. It's all right. I've got plenty of opposite other things to talk to you about, to be fair. I'm glad we were able to talk about the opportunity and how you got involved in the industry, because it's really important that we, again, from my perspective, I'm able to show different elements of how people not only find themselves in the jobs they do, but there's just different routes. And I'm, I'm glad that we're able to hear another version of that from someone in your position. So appreciate you sharing that with us. We do actually have a regular feature on the show that um, we trialed last time. We called it Onset Confessions. So the premise being on set confessions is that you might have been on set and so there's some craft services and your lunch orders come through and someone else has ordered something else and their lunch looks better than yours. Not saying you took it, but hypothetically, maybe someone else's lunch looked better and you thought I'm having their lunch instead of my own and you just ignored or denied it. It's that kind of thing. Andy Harris was kind of to share the fact that on a set of Mission Impossible, he uh, couldn't hold his, uh, there's no polite way to say it. he shit himself on the set of Mission Impossible. <laughs> so, awesome. yeah, so he wow, shared his, his, his most embarrassing moment. Is there anything you'd like to get off your chest? Any remorse of anything you've done on set? Now's the safe place to, to tell the audience or just to, to have it off your chest, just to have it out in the open. You can have a think. Anything you've ever done to anyone um, or anyone um, you need to apologize to? I probably haven't been, <laughs> certainly not. <laughs> I'm fortunate probably that because my journey has been shorter than a lot of people in the industry for a long time, 
I've been sort of cracking on and trying to be a goody two shoes to make sure I get the job done and climb the ladder to get to where I need to be. <laughs> but I can tell you what would probably be an embarrassing story. Come on, what you got? What you got? So I'm um, sec- second or third job in. What did I do? Edge of Tomorrow and then Hercules and there was Man from Uncle. So Wesley Pepiat's an incredible first man standby prop man. Just good name, good man. Doing a guy, Richie one, Man from Uncle. And we've gone off to a racetrack. Now constructs all these massive tents for this outdoor bit. Was it Goodwood by any chance? Uh, I think I think it was Goodwood, yeah. And it was beautiful. They've set the tent up and it's amazing. And I've turned up there. I'm still a trainee, eh? So it's my third film. I'm, on, I'm still a trainee. But obviously I've been in the game probably just shy of a year now. I've been sent up to Goodwood with the Luton van, with another prop man. I've got to drive it up there and deliver some props. Life depends on it. You know, they're shooting the props that day. This is where I was starting to feel the love for the storm and roll as well. And I was starting to understand the integrity uh, that you need to maintain with the value, the value of the props. They might not be worth a lot of money, but it could be to the set they were after. To the set, to, to the hero that holds it, it could be massive. Absolutely. And the, and and the, the, standby, and the standby prop man's job, standing there like a fool, if he doesn't get what he needs, he's basically the fool in front of the camera and in front of the director. Right. And you don't want to put your first man stand. You do not want to put your first man standby in that position because then it's your head. So I'm cruising on the way in the Luton, cruising up to Goodwood. Get there, standby, calls me over. He's on set. I sneak onto set. And this is not the funny part of the story, but my phone was the one ringing when they were rolling. That wasn't ideal. That was embarrassing. The first man standby, luckily we'd covered it where we were all standing and we managed to get the phone off and switched off in like two rings and no one realized it was me. So that was good from a departmental point of view. But these are the small errors you make. You know what it's like if you're on a big job and your phone goes off. It's a big deal, bro. Oh, yeah. You're pretty much peddled out of the out of the shop. Like, go home. Allegedly, the specific director in question here, Guy Ritchie, has some fines for this That's the least well. of it, brother. That's the least of it. I didn't get caught, but it was my phone ringing. Now that guy, I've met guys, well, and I, I'd, I'd hate for him to watch this or hear it and then know it was me. I might get a finger pointed at me. I've met him once or twice. Hopefully he'll be understanding. Um, anyway, backed out of there and went home for the evening, hotel back. And it was the morning that we were shooting all these beautiful cars coming in, these vintage cars. Obviously, it's Man from Uncle at 60s, I think, or whatever. And we were out on the front. The sun was beautifully shining. It was this crisp, golden, beautiful morning at Goodwood Racetrack. Beautiful Aston Martins everywhere. Um, what's the young lady's name? Um, oh, my gosh. I've forgotten her name. The lady, the, the hero. Oh, gosh. Anyway. On the good team. Yeah, yeah. No, in Man From Uncle. Um, yeah, oh mate. It's escaping me as well. It, it, oh you keep going with your story and I'll, I'll look yeah, it yeah, up. Yeah, so, so, anyway, it's, it's a big shot with her getting out of the car. And it's, every, it's the shot everybody's arriving at the racetrack. So the first, the standby Wes has called me over and he's like, right, Dan, all right, mate, right, you've got to go over there, speak to that guy, yeah. Speak to that guy over there. He's got a little car for you, yeah. Right, come back, yeah, yeah, come back with that little car. So he's just told me to go get a card from someone and come back, it's for this guy, and he's sort of pointed at someone. He's in full standby mode, isn't he? He's preparing for the shoot in the morning. I'm still, I'm understanding what's going on, but I'm, also, the first time I'm really integrating on set with the standby and with all this, and I'm learning. 
So I rushed over to this chap and I'm like, hi there, morning, afternoon, hello, whatever. Where's Pepe? just sent me over. Um, I'm here to collect some cards. Yeah, yeah, no problem at all, mate. No problem at all. Chook, there you go. Gives me these cards. So I walk over and Wes has got this chap in front of him that's um, tying his shoelace. And I've gone over and I've recognized the guy's face. And I thought, oh, no, I know you. Hello, mate. How are you? And I put my hand out, you know, really friendly, you know, because I'm on set now and it's like 6.30, 7, 7 o'clock in the morning. Life's pumping, baby. There's this chap's feet. I've, Hello, how are you, mate? Yeah, yeah, good, good, good. The chap sort of stood up and looked at me. He's extended his hand and said, I'm, I'm very fine, thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, good. Yes, yourself? Yes, good. And I've turned around to look at where's his face and his face is just like, I've, it's Hugh Grant. I, I'd recognized him because he's, his face is on TV all the time. I greeted him like some old mate. And the first thing I was mortified, bro. Like, you know what it's like. You don't just walk up. There's that, that's the etiquette we're talking about. This etiquette on, you know, etiquette on film, uh-huh. film sets. And well, I'll be honest with you, man. I've, I've never heard the end of that joke. It gets brought up on every single job that I work with Wesley. And I do bump into him in different jobs. And it was embarrassing because obviously straight away, I got the talk from Wes as a 30, I was 31 years old. This talk about how you, you know, it's not your role, mate. That's my role. I'm the, it's really humbling, brew. It's really, really, I need really to get humbling. Andy. Andy Harris is actually going to come back and have a conversation with us about this because he talks about onset etiquette and he's got a different demeanor and way of dealing with these for just, right. just such occasions. Right. But that's made that's hilarious. Have you seen Hugh since? Have you, have you, I haven't. I don't, he doesn't I greet you like a mate in the street. He hasn't reciprocated. I don't. I, I don't know if Hugh if Hugh's going to greet me in the same fashion. I don't know. I would love it if you're walking down a bloody street and he's just like. I mean, not so much nowadays. It'll be like a hello from a distance, but <laughs> it would be wonderful. He just like greet you in the same way one day. I would. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're right, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mate, thank you hey. very much for indulging on set confessions. Yeah. Um, I should definitely relish that. But hopefully we'll have a, I'll get back Andy Harris on the show so he can explain just why it was bad form for him to, uh, well, not bad form. He avoided Tom Cruise on set once upon a time. But the reason why he has a specific uh, instance of avoiding people is because he used to be in the armed forces. So he was in the army and he had a certain punishment because he looked the wrong way at an officer and they called him around and all sorts of stuff. I'm going to let him tell that story himself. We'll be back on. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I can share the the stories. I know where that story is going. Yeah, you do, mate. You do, you do. <laughs> so we've got another thing to, to deal with here as well, which is the pop quiz. Go on. It's all right. Again, we're just trying these features. I want to see how they play out with the guests. I want to see how they play out with the audience. Now, this week, sorry, audience. I'm sorry we're not live. You know, it just, just is what it is, okay? Our technical assistance from Jake, our guy that stands in and makes sure everything runs perfectly. It's his birthday on Wednesday, which is technically the day when this is airing. So wish Jake a happy birthday. But as a result, we are pre-recorded today. So I've backed up a few questions for you guys so that hopefully we can indulge the practice of the interaction. I actually will be there to answer any questions you guys have on Wednesday from 4 till 6. So if anyone wants to jump on there, we'll do our best to answer those questions. But for right now, I shall do my best to ask our good friend Danny Winship a couple of questions. So, Dan, are you ready for the pop quiz? Go, baby. You ready? Yeah, go on. Already. Right. Is prop storming your dream job? I wouldn't say it's far off, but it's no. 
my dream job involves bicycles. Uh-huh. I was getting up. Is what is the dream job? Come on, what is it? The dream job is is working with kids and bicycles and food because that's where my whole life, my, my passion, everything that I've learned about myself, those are the things I come back to. Passion and food, passion for food and bicycles. That's that's really where it stems from. And to be fair, that's what gave me all of the experience that I needed in terms of doing the job that I do now. Uh-huh. So I don't so I don't ever look at the job I've got as not the best thing in my life. I look at it as the best thing in my life currently. Um, it's as good a job as I could hope for based on my experience uh, in my life now, but it is not my ultimate dream. And if I had the money, the, 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 the hundreds of thousands of pounds I would need to start what I wanted to do, I would do that. I mean, you mentioned the food here. I was going to bring this up because uh, I'm of the understanding that you enjoy cooking in the outdoors. Barbecue? Is that, is that the food we're talking about here or what's, what's the dream food? Well, the dream, the dream food is anything on a fire. Um, right. In South Africa, we, would, we refer to that as a braai. And I live, eat, breathe, sleep, braai. Uh, that's, I can make a fire and burn some meat on it, man. That, that, that is what brings joy. What's your tip? <laughs> what's the thing? What's, what's your go-to? What, if you can have any meat here and it's cooking up, are we talking slow-cooked stuff or we just like flash fry that stuff? Or what, what's the deal? What's your thing? Well, I think the reality is to have equal measure of everything and to make sure you do them all. Is <laughs> that your version of barbecue, is it? You're, no, no, you're one of those no, guys no. Who wants well, what, at, any, at any given time, at any given time, if I'm doing, if I'm particular, particularly, let's say tonight, I'm going to do dinner tonight and I've got some family and guests coming over. Uh-huh. It's probably something smoked in the, in the Weber kettle. Oh, yeah? Yeah, you're going to do a mixture of uh, coal and various wood, smoke it up. Oh, he's a serious cook. Yeah, not, not direct heat, indirect heat within there so that it's all smoky, it's very delicious take the time preparing it. And that would How probably be, a, well, a couple of hours if we're going to do a, like a, a lamb shank or something, do something like that, check on it regularly, open that thing up, get the smoke yeah. everywhere Starting and around everyone in, very in your hungry face. Having this conversation yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's all it. And if you can tie that in, the best, the best time in my life, Josh, ever, when I was in my probably late teens and going into my early 20s, I was already working by then. But we had time to go ride at BMX trails in the forest or wherever it was, riding bikes. And we would create a bra wherever we were. So it was often me, very often my mates. We would have charcoal in the car. We would build a small fire, have a grill. Yeah, that's all you really needed was a grill and a set of tongs. Sounds like a really? good way to live, mate. Sounds like a good yeah, way to live. Yeah, and that's, if, you can, if you can tie that sort of stuff into your real life, I'm sure that's got to be the ultimate goal. Oh, mate. Um, I was I brought up the barbecue thing because I knew you were into this and in my head I'm, I've got the idea about buying a smoker but I haven't quite got that far yet with it in my head I'm like I've got that guy who does the full briskets in the states who's on that chef movie yes. all this sort of stuff going on I'm like yes that's the dream but I'm fortunate enough to, there's a gentleman called Christian Stevenson who is uh, quite prolific in this world DJ barbecue who does all this stuff right. I keep meaning to hit him up but the, the, the setup they have is it's a serious investment in time and effort, mate. It's a serious yeah. investment in time and effort. It bar- barbec- the proper barbecuing meat is a—it's an art, man, and it's to do it properly and to extract the most flavor and to understand all of it. You—you you, you want to learn about it? It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. 
Mate, I'm picking your brains off this call for sure on this. We're going to follow up on this because I could talk about this for a long time, but I'm very, very interested. I'm a big fan of my meat, so we need to get into this. <laughs> yes, yes, we shall. Right, second question. Have you ever borrowed a prop? Now, I know we kind of hinted at this earlier, but this question was here anyway. Have you ever borrowed, borrowed a prop? Yes. <laughs> yes. What was it? Um, as in borrowed, as in something I've kept. Uh, I didn't say that. Not Gosh, putting words in my mouth. I've borrowed. Look, there, there are lots of cases where you can borrow props. We've been fortunate to help people out where, they've, where, where a prop has been borrowed and mm-hmm. we've helped somebody out with something. Um, people borrow props. Come on, what you got? What you, have have to show me. you don't have to show me, but I'm interested. I might have, I might have, I might have ended up, I might have ended up. In fact, actually, I'll give you a borrowing story. We had a whole lot of props at the end of a film. Often, when you wrap a job, there's a lot of stuff that the films do good by uh, the hospice companies, and they give a lot of it to the hospice companies. Stuff that actually can help them out, bags and clothing, and stuff that I would have thought you know can help anywhere. It's good to know that they do that. Yeah, I'm yeah, also yeah, proud of this myself. We also we buy clothes from charity shops and also give them back as well. Yeah, you know, it's it's good. So we were wrapping up a particular job and there was a lot of stuff going to one of the hospice companies. I had asked at the beginning of the job if I could keep one of the one of the bags, a, a duffel type bag. And long story short, I, at the end of the job, they were all packed to go to this hospice thing. Um and the guys were treating it as a throwaway. Just get out of here. We've got to be out of here in two days. Get it all in there. Get it in the box. So I said, may I have one? I didn't want to just, you know, take it. Yeah, you're polite. And the luck would have it that I was given one. And about two weeks later, I found something very, very important inside, which was the hero actor's dog tags. I know, right? Yeah. That's a nice fun thing. Yeah. Nice little nugget of a gift there. Well, I think that's quite a cool thing. And oh, yeah, I was fortunate yeah. that it worked in my favor that it genuinely hadn't been a borrow. Yeah. And ended up with... The universe put that in your hands. As far as I see it, that's fair game. I think so. I didn't I even know what they were in or where they'd come from. And I only found out that they were actually this hero's props nearly a year later. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Oh, so, yeah, that's cool. yeah. Thank you for sharing that with us. I'm yeah, glad that I'll get we're not condoning the theft of props. Yeah. It's very important. No, no, no. Not at all. <laughs> right, this one, this is more of a personal question for me. Go on. Have you ever knocked yourself out? Um, yes. Really? Yes. Uh, what, just knocked out unconscious? Um, I'm counting, knocked out is unconscious. I'm counting like... A bit of memory loss. Oh yeah, I mean, I like that. yeah. yeah I've, I've been knocked out before, and like went out quickly and come back around and like recognise the grass is there, but not really know where I've been. That's a knockout, as far as I'm concerned. You have to be completely unconscious. So I, I was knocked out, and I I thought that I was out for probably seven hours because when I woke up, I woke up in hospital, but I'd apparently woken up two minutes after I'd been knocked out. Um, I was hit by a car riding my bicycle at oh, age 15. Um, 
I was going straight through a set of lights and there was a chap approaching me that was turning to his right. So he crossed me, hit me at the back of my bicycle. I he was aiming for you. Well. Was and you, I went you to flip him off? Is that what it was? Did you get on the wrong <laughs> side of him? I was 15. I was, I was just cruising home from the gym. I'd been out to train for, I was racing BMX then. So I was on my way home from the gym. I know the, you know, the stretch of road I was on was a lovely big clean dip, set of green lights, straight through the green, sprints up the hill. Full Didn't get up the hill because this guy obviously caught me out. And I went flying through the air. Apparently, the onlookers told my dad, smacked a set of traffic lights, flipped around the lights and landed three meters from where I'd been hit. Um, Did you wear a helmet? Really? No. I wasn't wearing a helmet. You wear and one these days, I've seen you. Oh, no, I don't leave home without it now. And yeah, that was, that was mental. I apparently woke up a few minutes later, but I don't recall waking up until almost, well, it was the next morning, really. I, I remember anything sort of starting to... I have flashes of my mom walking into the hotel room and shouting at her. That's all I remember of coming around. Hotel or hospital? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly, well, mate. Yeah. I, I hope to go down the ever knocked yourself out route, but I'll take that story for sure. <laughs> yeah, I know, no, that's that that's about as as good as being knocked out as story as you're gonna get. Oh, good man, good man. <laughs> Who are the real heroes on a movie set? Um Well, we're suddenly getting into a you suddenly start debating what defines Don't overthink it, mate. Hero. Don't overthink it. It's just a fun question, eh? I think any anybody that's contributing, I think everyone's the hero, aren't they? Really? Is He's everyone a kind the hero? Man, if you're, if you're I wanted to say prop Storman. Oh, I'd love to say that. But I think anybody that's been in the industry can gen, genuinely has to be aware that everybody's contributing. Um, I think the un, maybe the unsung heroes are the guys that tidy up after all of us. Let's Let's give it to the guys that are cleaning up stages behind us when we leave a bottle on the stage or you've left your lunch in that crappy carton underneath a prop and whatever we, you know, props come in, clear the stage, you know, clear it all out, get what we need out. And then who are the people that come in and clean it all up? The stagehands, man. Uh, I've got a lot of times for Mate, those I guys. I can't take that away from the stagehands. There you go. Let's give it to them. There you go. Most important people on the That's set. It. There you go. We'll let them have it. <laughs> yeah. This is one for our audience. Do you know who Roger Deakins is? That's amazing. a sound no. Amazing, amazing. That is going to be, you are now demonized for the CVP audience. Nice. I'm not even going to let you know who he is. You're going to go and check him out. Roger Deakins, by the way. There you go. We'll let that one go. Uh, he can find out who I am. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever he is, he's like, who is that little shithead? <laughs> <laughs> I have it on good authority. He's one of the nicest people on earth. So it's all good. You'll find out afterwards. And it's, it's a bit of good fun anyway. <laughs> Thank goodness for that. Most impulsive thing you have ordered online whilst on lockdown slash in lockdown. The most impulsive thing that I've ordered since I've been in lockdown? Yeah. Oh, you're going to be so disappointed. <sighs> Can't wait, God. <laughs> A set of foam mats for me to do yoga on and do my workout on. Well, I wish I hadn't asked now. No, that's horrible. There's yeah. nothing impossible. I might have to scrap that question. Up. Yeah, I think you cut that one. Yeah, it's part. It's be fair. It's part of the process. I'm learning about the show. I'm learning how to podcast. This is a new <laughs> thing for me as well. So yeah. 
No, you don't want to know about foam. You don't want to know about foam mats. No, I'm not going to lie, mate. I and I, and I don't that. think I could make up anything that would be of any substance that could bring a lot. We'll just scratch that one. It's fine. Yeah. Can you do a wheelie? I can do a wheelie, sir. Yes. Yes. Had Andy Harris on the show last week. He couldn't do a wheelie. He tried to play off some story. To be fair, he'd have a pretty good endo story about him flying off the handlebars in front of his kid. I was going to say, if you couldn't do a wheelie, I don't really know why you've got me on the show, Josh. But if you can do an endo, well, then that's okay, mate. That's cool. That's we'll let cool. him have it. We'll let him have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Endo's, endo's winning. So a previous question we had was, what would your five-year-old you think of you now? You know, like your five-year-old version of yourself looking up at you now, what would it think of you? But I happen to know on good authority that you actually have a five-year-old. So the question here really is, what does your five-year-old think of you now? The joy, the joy of a five-year-old is that if you haven't broken their bones or upset them too much in their five years of life, they see you as quite a hero. Amazing. Um, the reality is that that's what well, I've found that with both of my twins, so I now have it on good authority, that that quickly fades. And oh, how disappointing. My sort of, yeah, you're, you're a hero up until probably eight or ten years old, I think, and then Reality kicks in and they realize that you're pretty human like the rest of all the horrible adults that are trying to restrict their freedom. And you're not a human, you're not a hero anymore. Oh man. I feel like we need to address that somehow. Try and work out how you can keep that balance going. Keep them thinking find, you're a superstar. Uh, you're saying find the algorithm. Yeah, yeah, I've been looking. I've been looking. We'll check back on that one. Yeah. I appreciate that. Then. It's good to know that Ollie thinks of you as a hero because Ollie's I a legend so. too. I and I trust his opinion. Well, he's Ollie. Exactly, mate. Absolutely. Um, also, as we're not live, I feel because the audience has relinquished their ability to actually ask you direct questions. Another thing as well we can do is recycle a question from last time. So this is yeah. one that an audience member asked to Andy last week, but don't worry about the context. Just play it as it is. Yeah. Any advice for low, low budget filmmakers on how to incorporate stunts into their films? Don't overthink it. Any advice on how to incorporate stunts into low budget films so for the filmmakers out there for the people watching at home any advice mate just freeform this one if it's bmx if that's your thing and you're throwing that into the mix and that's the way to get stunts into films i'm just leaving it to you i'm not going to put any ideas in your head i think stunts are great in films i think stunts are very very good are you saying stunts as a department to get more stunts into yeah the question was technically asked on how on earth can a low-budget filmmaker do stunts? Because obviously Andy Harris is uh, you know, the person that mitigates risk, looks at health and safety and these kinds of yeah. things. So the context yeah. of the conversation was yeah. more to do with like, how can a low-budget filmmaker get stunts in there safely without killing anyone, harming anyone, maiming anyone, or destroy, destroying too much property in the mix, basically. So any creative ways you can think of getting stunts into films if you've got no money? <laughs> that's a hard one when you're dealing with uh, everything works with money, doesn't it, in this industry? It's really tough. You're starting to have to reduce, I don't know, you, you're talking about reducing what people earn? or Probably I think not. in creative ways you can get stunts done. Andy was very practical in this regard, to be fair. He had a situation where he was like, well, just get creative with filmmaking techniques. So look at how you can perhaps, if you want to have someone hanging out a window, perhaps do it at ground level, shoot a tricky angle to make the, the height lower, all that sort of stuff. That's kind of oh, the direction he Oh, went. right. I understand what you're saying. Right, yes. Oh, obviously, yes. Those are just, it's sensible stuff. You've got to remember, people 
I think if you remember that you're looking through there, that, that's the, then you bring the common sense in with that and you go, that's what we're looking at. So like you just said, you know, you want to get the film on the window, jumping out. <laughs> I love it just siding with Andy, mate. It's all good. I threw a tricky no. one in there because I don't want to see if you had a creative answer. No, not really. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. I think there's too much health and safety to go in with that. It's a difficult thing to do affordably if you actually want the stunt people doing it. Otherwise, you've got you're suddenly, you're suddenly stunt things going. Creative. I just like stunts, really. I like crazy stuff. So, yeah, so stunts good. are good. We'll take that's back on that. What is that, you know, just personally as well, what's, the, what's your favorite film you've worked on? I would say both the Guy Ritchie films have been fantastic to work on. Man yeah. from Uncle and Aladdin. Man from Uncle was fantastic because I got to work on the film and got to understand a little bit how Guy Ritchie runs his jobs, which is very cool to learn about. And then later, after having done a few jobs as a storeman, I got to do Aladdin as a storeman. So, you know, the trainee version of it, a guy film, and then do the storeman role of a, of a film, which was obviously a lot more responsibility and working with a lot more key people on the sets and so on. Definitely the Guy Ritchie films. I like the way he runs them. I like okay. his, I like the way that he's, Man, I hear good things. I've not met him myself, but I am a super fan. I prefer super fan. I loved all his movies. Mm, did I love all his movies? Yeah. I, I, just I, think think he, I just think he's good at what he does. And he, at the level he's at, he doesn't... He makes you feel like a person when you meet him. He's a clever man. Eh? He's done a lot. He's, he's, he's created a lot. He, he's pretty incredible. And when I met him, I, I knew the, one of the chaps that produces with him, Ivan. And he said, oh, guys over there, you, you want to, you know, you want to say hello to him? So I went over, we were setting stuff up. It was right at the beginning of the film before we'd even started shooting. And guy said, oh, Danny, you're from same neck of the woods as Ivan. I said, yeah, yeah, how's it going? Nice to meet you, you know, all the rest of it. He went, right, so what do you do? I obviously answered with the film answer, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> What's the film answer? Up, did you? No, no, no. What's the film answer? The film answer is I'm a prop storeman. Yeah, exactly. That's not what he was asking. No, not and that's not Who are you, and the, What are you yeah, about? Who, yeah, yeah. And he was directly looking me in the eye going, what are you about? And that was, that was a big lesson I learned to answer. People ask me now, what do you do? I don't answer with prop stores anymore because that's not what I do. People ask me what I do now and I go, ride bicycles and cook a lot. Mate, that's why you're here, honestly. I mean that sincerely. That's why you're here. That's why but I wanted to talk to you today. It's very important. Definitely the Guy Ritchie films have been the best to work on. I think the crews are the happiest and that's a major part of going to work each day. But People isn't work. that just a testament to how he deals with those situations? Yeah, totally I mean, what right. you're explaining here is someone that just treats people with respect is from what I'm hearing. Totally. Look, he, don't get me wrong. He can go mental on the side of that stage if you're not pulling your weight and you're doing something wrong. But I'd like to say... I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know the guy. I can't be putting words into his mouth. But. <laughs> yeah, but he's... I, I just thought... I, I like working for the, for, for the jobs that he's running because I just think the crews are happy and I think he does it his own way, but he's clever at what he's doing. Who would have thought that the guy who made Lock, Stock and Smoking Barrel would make Aladdin? Mate, I love that movie as well. And I... I what, Lock, Stock? Aladdin. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Love stuff, for sure, for sure. I watched Aladdin, I enjoyed elements of it, but I'm, I'm going to be completely honest. Disney movies are not necessarily my thing. <laughs> no, sure. But to, I think that what he did with it, and obviously Will Smith being a major part of yeah. that, I think that his films are the, they're just great. I, I love the way he puts them together. 
I agree. I completely agree. I, I'm trying not to super fan too much here, mate. I'm holding back a yes, lot right. of my enthusiasm and my, and my energy right here. So you just have to bear with trying yeah, yeah, not yeah. to let it leak out too much. No, no. Because once it goes, it's gone. Absolutely. It is just everywhere. One element of some sort of, you know, I can hold it back. It's all good. It's all good. But well, look, at the end of the day, I'm incredibly grateful for you just sharing a bit about these, just your life experience in this regard, because I think that's the premise of this podcast is that I'm getting round to here. It's quite simple. is just being able to demonstrate the kind of people that are doing not only what they're enjoying, they're enjoying what they're doing in that regard. You know, they're yeah. out there doing their thing. And yeah. w- however they found themselves in the line of work that they're in, there's, a, you know, there's definitely some traits that resonate with the types of people that we're talking to. And I'm always enamored with the stories that you guys share with me. So I'm really grateful for having you on that part. And, you know, just to have a bit of light entertainment for people and to give, you know, hopefully people a bit of insight into some positions that perhaps they, they might not have understood that much about before. So thank you very much for your time. Well, today. Josh, thanks for having me, man. Um, as you said, it was, it was at the skate park that we met and you, you very quickly, I thought it was incredible and I like decisiveness with people, but you very quickly said to me, I think you should come on the podcast. And I liked how quick you were with that. You, you, you saw me and you, within a second you went, yeah, I'll take a chance. Let's get him on. I'll offer it to him. Go. And I thought that's magic. I like that, man. I like that decisiveness. I appreciate the opportunity. It's been great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, what an opportunity. Mate, it's funny you mentioned that as like, it seemingly was like, I, mate, I was listening to every word you said, but because I listen to people yes. in much the same way, we sort of, it's easy to ask how someone is or what they do. Yeah. I'm not, I don't really care about those things. I want to know how you really are, what you're yeah. really about. And I, the first time I met you, you with your kid and you're hanging out in a skate park, <laughs> uh, you know, basically a swimming pool, a bowl, a concrete bowl, yeah. and the kid having the time of his life that to me says more about you than anything else could. So that's what I'm paying attention to. You're a good and man. Everything else that followed that was very, very obvious to me. So, Well, it's been great. Absolutely sincere pleasure, mate. Um, obviously, for those listening at home, thank you very much for tuning in again. If you want to yeah. ask us any questions or check back in with us, we're on all the Instagrams, all the Facebooks, all that sort of stuff. We'll be with CVP Weekly here on the YouTube channel and we'll be very, very soon on the podcast platforms as well. So you'll be able to take us around with you as well and listen to us at your leisure. Um, Do all the subscribing, that sort of stuff. Leave some comments if you want to ask us some questions, but otherwise that is us for now. Danny, again, thank you very much. I hope you have a wonderful day. Enjoy the sunshine. Until next time, mate. You know that I'm going to go light the fire right now, Josh. Oh, I'm so jealous. Thanks, man. Take care. Enjoy it. Hopefully that was a nice bit of insight into some different roles in the industry. I'd, I'd love to get someone from all of the departments on. But in the next episode, we have Dan Joyce joining us from Dirty Sanchez. It's a pretty messed up show, but he's a great guy. He lets us in on his deepest fears, what it takes to make it onto MTV and shares plans on creating a space to learn how to develop your own films. And we reminisce about sleepboarding. So tune in next time.